Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Job Transparency for Development, Part 1. Here we go. We've talked about delegation a number of times, and to better be able to delegate parts of your job, it's best to be transparent about it. Yeah, look, if you want to help your director develop, one thing to do is delegate parts of your job to them. I'm, I'm amazed that managers don't understand this, that that the more your directs have done of job stuff at your level, the easier it will be for them when they get promoted. Even if they're not promoted to your precise job, jobs at certain levels share certain commonalities. Right. It's also going to be easier for you to do your job. <laughs> but, but okay, that's not the focus of this cast, obviously. Yeah. And so it, it's good for the, your directs to know what it is you do. And, and we don't just mean your role, your title, or your general responsibilities. Responsibilities is generally a vagueness, but your actual activities, what you actually do. Lots of managers can't identify what to delegate because they don't know well enough what they do. They're so far down in the weeds. And, and that's not actually a ding, guys. I felt that way. I know Mike's felt that way, too. You get so far down in the weeds, you're almost contextually unaware when you're getting something done. And we're going to recommend a simple way. Uh, it'll take you a little while, but a simple way to change it. I will say this, though. Sorry in advance. You can't de- delegate email. Actually, you can to your admin, but you wouldn't want to delegate it to anybody else on a regular basis. So we're going to recommend you become more transparent about your job activities with your directs. It's not complex to do, but it might take you a couple of weeks. So step one, don't announce you're doing this. You just trust us on that for a little bit. (laughs) I've done it both ways. I know managers have done it both ways. We almost always prefer you don't announce it unless you're experienced at this technique doing a, a time log. Okay. Second thing, you're going to keep a time log, and we're going to explain that in some detail because I've gotten that questions many that question many times over the last nine years, and then we're going to analyze that log and see what it tells us about what we're doing. We're going to offer opportunities to our team, and then in the event that somebody might say, "I really like to help with that," and you don't believe they're right for it, we're also going to recommend you you not be afraid to say no. And the really the heart of this cast is understanding how to do a time log. Again, not complex, just takes a little bit of discipline. Okay, so we recommend folks be transparent about what they're doing, but you suggest that folks don't announce what they're doing. Yeah. In regards yeah. to, so, so why is that? Because that just, just doesn't sound like us. Yeah, we don't want you to announce the fact that you're going to keep and analyze a time log in order to understand your job better so that you can delegate better, okay? There are two reasons for it. First... Some of us are going to stumble when we when we start keeping the log. You're going to forget. You're going to get frustrated with missing some stuff. And then another reason is you're not going to like what it shows. And again, folks, it's not a ding. I've done this before and got, oh, my gosh, I'm embarrassed. I say X, but I'm actually doing Y, and I've got to get my stuff together here. Right. So either one of those things is a completely legitimate experience to have. You know, you're not responsible for being perfect. You're responsible for being your best. Sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we get focused on X when in fact Y and Z are really the big value creators in our job, but we're distracted by a frustrated boss or we're doing what we like rather than what we should do. Look, in the first case, in just keeping the log, you're not alone. Like I've said, it's not complex to keep a log, but look, it's going to irritate you at times. Virtually every time I've ever done it, I've maybe done it 
seven, eight times, you'll get irritated by it. Every time I felt like, geez, you know, in day two, I'm like, oh, this is going to stink. I hate this. And every time at the end, I'm like, wow, this is great. Yeah, yeah. Wow, do I have some holes I need to plug. And just take it aside here and talk about holes you have to plug. Folks, there's been a theme for the last few years in Manager Tools. I think one of the weaknesses of what we do as managers, as professionals, is our fear of being wrong, our fear of being caught not knowing something. And so we all basically act as if we know everything, even when we're presented with new information. And every single time we've recommended and heard from somebody who actually tried greater transparency, they said, I, I can't believe I hid that from people. I just admitted openly that I really you know, needed to do something better or I wasn't smart on it and I needed some help. People stepped right up and they respected my courage, my honesty. It's almost weird to say courage, but that's what people feel it as. Everyone as a professional has an inherent fear of being perceived not effective or not knowledgeable or wrong. And so we all, so many of us, oh, there's rare exceptions, but me, Mike, everybody I know, and virtually everybody I talk to, they're afraid of being seen as less than knowledgeable. And when you go to meetings with senior people and they, oh yeah, we do this, we do that, and so on, some of them frankly lord it over other people and and say it in a, in a, in a bragging sort of way that, yeah, I know that and you don't, or yeah, there's some things I'm privy to that you're not. Folks, that's not the way to be a professional. And your people know you don't know some things, you're going to do far better by admitting you don't know some things. And so it's okay to struggle with this. It really is. And it's okay to tell your directs, look, I, I just did a time log and I discovered I've got some holes to plug. And then maybe you'll do another one and you'll be better at it in six months once you've fixed a couple of the holes in your schedule or a couple of holes in your activity, uh, the things you spend time doing, such that you'll be able to say, okay, now I'm going to do it. I've changed what I do. Mike, I would even argue that there are some people who are not doing one-on-ones today because doing one-on-ones implies that what they did before wasn't effective, that changing suggests that I was doing it wrong before. Well, I think we run into that in our consulting practice all the time, managers, executives, and sometimes very senior executives, not wanting to change their behaviors because it implies that they've done it poorly in the past. And they haven't been able to get past that. Yeah, Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. By that definition, once you're a winner, you should never change a thing, even after you start losing. Right? Even after you start not doing well, you say, well, I've been a winner before, so therefore you know, I can't change anything because that would imply that I wasn't doing well before. Yeah, and that works well because we all know the world doesn't change and yeah. <laughs> your responsibilities may not change because your company has to do something different to be successful. We all know that to be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, guys, the complexity of this issue of the time log is really not a problem. It's the discipline of sticking with it. Okay. And frankly, this is another sort of universal managerial lesson. Dealing with complexity, which all the consultants in the world love talking about today, is much less important than having discipline in your decisions, in your activities, in your relationships. Discipline. If you ask me, choose a manager, all the things are equal. One of them is a fabulous person in terms of his discipline, and the other one is really good dealing with complexity. Who would you choose? I would choose the disciplined person. And folks, I would even choose it in an executive. A lot of people would say, well, an executive, you know, they have to deal with complexity. 
Yeah, maybe they do. Maybe we need insight at that level. But if you have a lot of insight and you're not disciplined enough to, to implement the actions that come out of it, it doesn't matter how smart you are about the, the future or, or chaos or the uncertainties in the world. Um, you won't be able to implement plans and procedures to address it effectively. And so all the brightness in the world can be undone by a lack of effectiveness. Okay, so it's okay to struggle with a time log. It's happened before. I think some people might be worried about this because they're going to feel a little bit alone as if they're the only person that has flaws, right? And you've avoided them, right? Yeah. But the fact is, folks, you're still not alone, okay? You know, we joke at manager tools. People often ask me, well, it's, it's great what you do and so on. And we say, um, hey, to be clear, we don't teach what Mark does. Mark does what we teach. And in the same way that we teach it, we're learning about it as well. We still struggle on our own journey. Each of us struggle on our own journey of being more effective. The key to being more effective is continuing to try to be more effective. That's where it all starts. If your first thought is, I've got to protect myself because my image as an effective person is what matters. I would argue that you're wrong-footing yourself, that the, the right thing to do is to constantly try new things. Um, virtually every one of our corporate offsites that we have, I add something new to the agenda and we see whether or not it works. We try things and see whether or not they works, and we're willing to say, nope, that didn't work. We're going we're gonna to not do that. Now, a lot of us experience other companies based on their products. And if you deliver a few products, an example today in the news in the last few years is Apple, where people think of their products as somewhat totemic and they, they think that, well, you know, clearly the, the standard is perfection. But a lot of people forget that on the first iPhone, there wasn't an app store, right? They're going to yeah. be all on the web. Right. And the only, yeah, the only way to add functionality is, is going to be a web app, right? You and the entire industry of apps was an afterthought after the phone that invented the idea or modernized the idea of apps on a, on a smartphone, on a PDA, which, by the way, there's a, there's a phrase you don't hear anymore, PDA, that it just gradually died after we got our smartphones. So at some level, when you start doing this, you're probably going to feel when you do the time log that you've analysis like this is going to point out some flaws and you've avoided it. Now, some of you may not have heard about it before. Those of you who have heard about it probably go, mm, it's probably going to be a lot of work, and I'm not going to like what it shows. You're not alone, guys. You're not. Again, every time I've done one of these, almost every time, and again, I, I hate them until I love them, I had the same feeling. But since you don't have to share it if you don't announce it, at least you can learn something about your efforts to help you improve your own efforts. And look, you'll probably want to make some improvements in what you're working on or how much time you're spending on things, like, for instance, email. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you give it another go in six months, and then you'll be willing to share. And when you think about it, guys, the idea of a time log combines Drucker's most important executive guidance, which he says is know thy time, with the greatest management principle in the world. The things that get measured are the things that get done. Right? Yeah. When you start capturing what you're spending your time on, you're measuring your time allotment. Yeah, the most important thing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would argue that even though this cast is about delegating your people, delegating to your people and therefore understanding your job better, the core of this cast is the time log, which we're going to go through now in detail because uh, this is manager tools. And it should be a Hall of Fame cast because 
everybody who's smart will say, you know, every eight months or so, I'm going to do a time log. And I suspect you start doing this, you'll get better faster enough that you'll have an admin and then you can have your admin follow you around for two weeks and, uh, and make your life a great deal easier when you do your time log. Yeah. So again, if you don't announce it, guys, there's less risk. If you're comfortable with the risks, go ahead and talk about it. That's fine. We have no problem with that. But many of you aren't. We understand it and you don't have to. Okay, so let's get to the time log. So I think you just said the key to this show. If you're listening to the show and you're done listening to it and you don't do this, you're missing an opportunity. Let's talk about the time log. How do you do that? Right. So we actually mentioned the Drucker time analysis in our time management cast years ago, which, Mike, I read the cast and I realized this is the first time I read one of our casts and said I want to go back and redo it. Hmm. I've never never had that experience before. I just realized I didn't do a good job. I didn't go into enough detail, and I regret it. So we'll probably do that. Here's what we don't mean, guys, and here's what most people think when you say do a time analysis. What they think is analyzing your calendar in arrears, meaning going back through the last two weeks of your calendar and saying, what do I spend my time doing? Yeah, because I'm always doing what's on my calendar. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the single biggest reason for that is that the reason it's bad is because most people's calendars are misused. We're not trying to ding you guys. We're just telling you we've seen thousands and thousands of calendars, maybe tens of thousands, and they're all the same in that they show meetings. But calendars should not be for meetings. When you think about it, if you're using your calendar as, as a record, you're going back through the record of your time, when you think about it, your calendar really isn't even a record at all unless you have a habit of correcting it every day when you go home to show what you actually spent your time working on. And if that's the case, you won't be able to catch those 15-minute bits here and there. Your calendar is only a plan. And we don't want to know how we planned our time. We want to know how we actually spent our time. If spending and planning were always the same, no budget would ever have variances. That's the whole point. Everybody's got to plan until they get hit. So you can't just look at your calendar in reverse. There are a couple of well-regarded ways to analyze how you spend your time. There is only one fundamental principle that guides the ones that work, and that is write down what you're doing when you're doing it. That is the holy grail of time management. There is no way that you are self-aware enough that you can review at the end of the day and remember everything you did, okay? There is no way that you can actually capture the 5, 10, 15-minute bits here and there and so on or the incredible diversity of your day by trying to capture it later. You must write down what you're doing when you're doing it. Going back over your last hour even, doing it once an hour, doesn't work worth a flip. For 99% of us, when we say we're writing a podcast for the past 60 minutes, we were probably actually answering email for about six of those minutes, responding to text messages for five minutes, answering a quick phone call <laughs> for two minutes. It's yeah. these little discursions that we're trying to capture or at least avoid missing to see what you actually spend your time on. And there are people I know who say, well, I was doing it in this meeting, but in fact, they did email, they did something else, and their day is incredibly fractured into thousands of little bits and pieces. And unless you measure in small quantities, you're not gonna capture how those small quantities add up to a total that is very different than what your plan says it was going to be. Yeah, the time you spend tweeting, checking Facebook, checking the news, some of you, some of you. 
Not everybody. Yeah. You know, it's probably only two or three minutes in a day, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just two, three. Exactly. Yeah. So to record what you're doing, again, record, when I say recording, I mean write down what you're doing when you're doing it. You can do it in either analog or digital format, okay? If you love your smartphone and you have a handy note-taking app that makes switching to it easy, writing in it easy, guys, that's fine. Personally, having done these probably as much as anybody else I know, but there's probably somebody who does them every six months and has been doing them for 25 years, and I would just bow to her or him. I've never used a smartphone for capture. I have used it, and in fact, the PDA predecessor of it, uh, Palm Trio, for alarms so that the phone would was with me, it would go off, and then I would write in a written document in a, in a little notebook I have what I actually was doing. And the key thing is to remember to capture both the time that you're capturing and the activity. So you might write down 10.02 and then write down email, okay? So you can use your smartphone if you want. As long as you can write into it easily, you can change over to that thing easily. And also that you can copy and paste easily out of it, that you can get the, the information you write down into some other format so you can do your analysis later. But in the analog format, you need a notebook, and usually small, in which you can write down, again, both the time and what you were doing at the time. It occurs to me that I've always used a small notebook, but you could use your big go-to-meeting notebook if you want. I know a lot of people use Moleskine's, you know, they're, they're maybe five by eight, five inches by eight inches. And that would work fine. I have a bigger notebook, uh, basically an 8 by 10 that could work just fine. I would have to, you know, take it everywhere I went rather than having a smaller notebook I could slip into my coat pocket. Okay, so that's the capture, okay? And again, when the alarm goes off, when you're reminded to check on something, then you write down either on your PDA or your smartphone or in your handwritten device what you were, the time that you noted it and what you were doing. Now, there are a number of ways to generate the times for when you're going to measure or capture. Every time you capture an activity, you're measuring your activity. So just to be clear, I think what you just said is we're not going to measure, for example, how long we were doing what we were doing. See, the alarm goes nope. off at 10.05. Nope. The fact nope. that at 10 it's 10.05, I nope. was doing email. I don't have to say I was, right. I've been doing it for the last half an hour, right? Just yep. what I was doing, instances. Yeah. Now, I was going to talk about that later, but let's talk about that now. Yeah, you don't want to try to capture durations because you can't. It's been tried. I tried it once. It was a total joke. When you read stuff about productivity, they all say, don't do it, don't do it. The point here, and we'll talk more about this later, is you're sampling, okay? What we're going to say later, and this is going to really tick some people off, but just stay with us, guys. We promise we'll make this clear in a minute, that when you are doing email for those 10 minutes, okay, or when you do the email, when you do that quick capture, we're going to assign essentially 10 minutes to that email. Because we're going to sample 50 times in a day, or roughly every 10 minutes, if you don't do email a lot, there are enough samples that you won't be caught doing email that much, okay? This is a sample, not a population. If it were a population, you'd have to have somebody go around and videotape you. If it was a record or an accounting of the population of your time, then a sampling wouldn't work. So, yes, if you're doing email for one minute 
and that's the minute that the alarm goes off. That's part of the reason why I want the random, I recommend the random number generator, which we'll talk about in a second. Then yeah, the sample suggests that you were doing ten minutes on email. But if that's the only time you do email, ten minutes out of two weeks is trivial, and so it doesn't matter. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Now, speaking of that, there are a number of ways you can generate the times when you're going to do it. You can simply choose an interval, and you can set an alarm on your smartphone at that interval, and then reset it. On an iPhone, it would be the alarm app, and then the timer, and you would set the timer for 10 minutes. And every 10 minutes, the, the alarm would go off, you would hit reset on it, and another 10 minutes would start. And when that alarm went off, you would open up your notebook, or you'd put on your phone, this is what I was doing. Yeah, and it's not fair to set your two alarms, one at 10 minutes, one at nine minutes, so that at the nine-minute mark, you can ensure you're oh doing something productive. God. Oh, my God. Folks, that's not in the show notes, and I am very impressed that Mike is clever enough to figure out a way to game the system. I'm very impressed. Absolutely. Yeah. My time analysis will show absolute focus on the things I ought to be focusing on, <laughs> at least for 30 seconds every exactly. 10 minutes. There you go. <laughs> Look, the best interval we found is 10 minutes. Uh, there's no perfect interval, guys, because we're only sampling. But that amount of sampling, which is, if you think about it, an hour a day, it's roughly 50 datum a day over two weeks, is going to give you a very good sense of what you're working on. Not perfect, but no sample of a population is a perfect representation of the sample. Okay, You're only looking for the big things anyway, and whether you're spending 40% on something, you should spend 15% of your time on, and so on. All right. You can also use a random number generator. I like this because it's geeky, and it's impossible to predict and to gauge. Every time I've used it, it is astounding to me how randomness makes it shockingly clear what I'm spending my time yeah. on. I'm probably over-stressing on the random thing, but that's been my experience, my personal experience. The best way to do that, this is what I found, is you go to a website called random.org, which may be one of the best website names ever, and you choose the time randomizer. And what they allow you to do is put in a start time and an end time. So you put in 9 to 5. You can put in 8 to 5 if you want. I think 9 to 5 is the default. You change the increment that you want the randomizer to use to one minute versus the default of five minutes. Then put in the number of samples you want. And again, put in 50. We recommend 50. Again, that's roughly t every 10 minutes for eight hours. When you click Get Times at the bottom of that page, it delivers you a web page with a list of times on it. Now, some of you aren't going to like what I'm about to say, but anyway. You then program those times into your smartphone clock app. Now, I use an iPhone, so I know that you now are using the alarm app's alarm function, whereas before, we're using the alarm and the timer because we're measuring every 10 minutes. In this case, we're measuring a specific time, and we're going to program our, our clock a bunch of alarms to match the times that the random time generator gives us. You'll notice if you do it, you'll discover it'll measure at 10.02 and then at 10.04, and then maybe not until 10.15, and then maybe not until 10.35, but then at 10.37 or 10.39 or 10.42, and then 10.45, and then 10.57. And it will absolutely drive you crazy it, the first couple of times you do it, and you'll absolutely believe that it's getting an accurate representation rather than you being able to begin to predict, a la Mike's comment, about how often it's been since 10 minutes. So it sounds like a lot of work, but it really isn't that bad. 
we like to eat our own dog food here. So I did it recently, and it's not that bad. And look, if you like, you don't have to have a different random set of times generated each day. You could just repeat the same ones. Believe me, you won't be able to predict it if you're trying to get work done. Believe me, you won't. Yeah, no. Or you could just create one or two or three different random lists and rotate them, turn on different alarms each day. The alarms can stay on your phone and you can just turn them on and off depending upon which day it is. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll finish this one up next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.